2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. In verses 1 through 14, David's recognizing how God has preserved him. The author also recognizes it, but we'll see that in David's dedication of the spoils to God as well. Verse 1 of chapter 8. And after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagamah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. David smote also Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven hundred horsemen and twenty thousand footmen, and David hewed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to succor Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David slew the Syrians, two and twenty thousand men. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. And the Lord preserved David, whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem and from Beta and from Barathai, cities of Hadadezer. King David took exceeding much brass. Then Toy, king of Hamath heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadadezer. Then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto King David to salute him and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and smitten him. For Hadadezer had wars with Toy, and Joram bought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass which also David did dedicate unto the Lord. With the silver and gold he dedicated of all nations which he subdued. Of Syria and Moab, and of the children of Ammon, and of the Philistines and of Amalek, and of the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the valley of Salt being 18,000 men. And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom put he garrisons. And all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. Notice that in verse 1, first of all, David subdues the Philistines. That old enemy of of Israel, who if you were to look at a map of the time, the Philistines' territory is about where the Gaza Strip is today. 
Some would say it's the same people that are giving Israel the, the problems they're giving over there today. The Palestinians, Philistines, Palestinians, same place, maybe the same people. Um, giving the Israelites problems. Gaza, uh, the Gaza Strip, that's where they were located. And you would notice on the map that Israel wraps around that country of, Philist of the Philistines. And at different times, the Philistines would take a lot of the territory of Israel. Uh, they took a large portion from Saul when they killed Saul of the northern part of Israel. And uh, going back to the time of Samson, they had ruled over Israel. And that rule was broken off under Samuel. And then Saul continued to keep Israel safe from, from the Philistines for much of his rule until he lost his life in that great battle against the Philistines. David then has now broken the Philistine rule over Israel, Israeli territory, but, or Israelite territory. But also he's now not just pushed them back out of Israel, he's actually taken what seems to be their capital, Methagama, in verse 1, out of the land of the Philistines. And that word, Methagaga, meaning the bridle of the mother, um, seems to indicate their, their capital, that he has taken that and thus he has subdued them. So the Philistines now are going to be under tribute to Israel rather than the other way around that it had been for so long. But while David is occupied with this, it seems, and we don't know the exact reason, but it seems that perhaps while he has turned his attention to the west, to the Philistines and later to Syria, the Moabites and the Edomites are both to the east and south of Israel, on the other side of Jordan, on the other side of the Dead Sea, really, and to the south of that. And they seem to take advantage of this opportunity to cause problems because they had been at peace with Israel in, in time past. Remember, David himself was, a, was the great-grandson of Ruth, a Moabitess. So David had Moabite blood in him. But uh, whatever peace they had had been broken, causing David to go to war with them and smite them, as it talks about in verse 2. So that David, it goes on to describe, has to execute or kill two-thirds of the Moabites because of this threat to Israel that the Moabites must have presented. The attack, perhaps, that they made, the rebellion, whatever the treachery that's going on here with the Moabites, uh, whatever the provocation, we're not sure. But David subdues them as well and kills two-thirds of them. And then the rest, the one-third that are left alive, the Moabites, they're also made to pay tribute to David, and they bring him gifts. And then you see in verse 3, David smiting Hadadezer. Hadad is a name if you go on to study uh, also the books of Kings or Chronicles, it comes, especially the kings, because they afflict the northern kingdom especially. You'll see that name Hadad come up, Ben-Hadad and other um, Hadad names, Hadad being the chief god of Syria, sometimes even the name that they called their capital city Damascus by. And often the, the kings would have some kind of 
the name Hadad would appear somewhere in their name, as you see with Hadad-Ezer. And uh, so they caused trouble for David at this time, and really Syria is a formable country in world history. Up to this point, and even after this point, Syria is more of a major player in world history. Israel was a minor country that was really of little consequence in world history up to this point. But now they actually become more powerful than Syria, who was somewhat of a world power at the time. And they would come to be a great threat to the northern uh, kingdom of Israel in the future under the divided kingdom of Israel. But at this time, they are subdued. And notice they had an advantage of chariots and horses. But that advantage does them no good because God is with David. And David is able to defeat them. And he hamstrings the horses, where it says that he hewed the horses, all except for 100 the uh, horses that were pulling the chariots, so they would not be able to pull the chariots anymore. So he effectively destroys the Syrian army of chariots so that they can't reman that chariot force and apparently keeps a hundred for themselves. He also, if you notice how formidable and how prestigious this army of Syria is, you'll notice that they had golden, golden shields. Golden shields. And David takes them away. And notice that he, he, he slays of the Syrians 22,000. That's a formidable army. 22,000 men he slays. So David is having great military successes here. And not only is he playing, going on the defensive, he goes on the offensive because he puts garrisons, verse 6, in Syria of Damascus. So even he is putting garrisons of Israelite soldiers in the capital city of Syria so that they have to pay tribute to Israel. Just like the Philistines and other countries in the past had ruled over Israel and had garrisons in Israel to make sure that Israel were paying their, their tributes and were not rebelling against that foreign rule over them. Now, the tables have turned, and Israel is a major world power under King David. And they are now ruling over powers such as the Philistines, the Moabites, and even the Syrians. They also, Edom is also going to be mentioned in this passage um, in verse. 14, that David also puts garrisons in Edom. Edomites, the Edomites, they're the descendants of Esau, and apparently they also caused Israel some problems. It just seems that as David became stronger, more and more of the neighbors, neighboring countries, saw him as a threat, and they're all attacking him, much like in recent history when Israel first became a country and all the countries around them attacked them immediately because they saw that new nation as a threat. And uh, they wanted to take advantage of the, the, the opportunity to, to take out this new country. And now with the new rule of David, that attempt on these neighboring countries, some of which had been at peace with Israel previously, was now put to rest. But notice that who gets the credit here? Verse 6, and the Lord, the last sentence of verse 6, and the Lord preserved David 
whithersoever he went. And if that's not enough, at the end of verse 14, that is repeated. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. So David was protected. No one could kill him. No one could defeat his entire army in battle unless God allowed it. And so God gave David these victories. And you see David recognizing that himself in verse 10. Notice that another king who was a rival king to, the, to Syria, a rival king, Toy, sent Joram his son, sent his, so a king's son is sent to King David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and smitten him. For Hadadezer had wars with Toy, and Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord. Notice that David dedicates these to the Lord. Most likely, he's setting these aside to help in the building of the Solomon's temple under his son's reign. And with the silver and gold that he dedicated, with the silver and gold, verse 11, that he dedicated of all the nations which he subdued. So notice he's taken of the spoil of all the nations that he's subduing. And he's taking their silver and their gold and he's dedicating it to God, meaning he's setting it aside for God's service, perhaps for the building of the temple, perhaps for the ministry of the Levites and the priests, but he's dedicating it, meaning he's setting it aside to God. And of course, an important principle here is with the things that God blesses us with and allows us to gain in our lives, do we dedicate that to God like David did? And then that is, that is the first way that we see David responding to God's blessing on his life. He's taking what God has given him and dedicating it, setting it back, giving it back to God. But he doesn't stop there. Despite the many responsibilities and privileges that David had as the king, we see that secondly, the way that David gives us an example, demonstrates how to respond for us even today, how to respond to God's blessings and employ those blessings for God. First, he dedicates what he's been given to God. Second, he does not forget his old friend, Jonathan, who has died, and remembers Jonathan and inquires to see if he has a son. So, secondly, in the midst of his great success and many concerns, David remembered his friend Jonathan and the covenant they had made, and he sought out Jonathan's son. Let's look at, starting at verse 15 of chapter 8. And David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all the, his people. Notice he has a lot of responsibility. A lot is going on here. He is executing judgment and justice unto all his people. And yet, in the midst of executing justice and judgment to all his people, he does not forget one individual, the son of Jonathan, who he does not know. David does not know Mephibosheth. He doesn't even know he exists. But he takes the time to find out that he does. And that's our second point here. He takes the time to find out if Jonathan has any remaining descendants. Because Jonathan died in the same battle where King Saul died against the Philistines. And David mourned him 
and he honored those who recaptured Jonathan and Saul's bodies from the Philistines. Let's look at verse 16. And Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the host, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was the recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, were the priests. And Sariah was the scribe. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief rulers. Notice here that David had a lot of people working under him. And yet he does not leave what comes next in verse 1 up to them. Because then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been taken care of. He remembers his personal covenant that he made with Jonathan, his best friend. And so in verse 1, despite all his privileges and many responsibilities and all the people working under him in his government, he remembers one person, his friend Jonathan. Look at verse 9, uh, chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And that word kindness, that, can, that word can be used as love. It can also be translated mercy. And it is in the Psalms. In Psalm chapter... In Psalm chapter 32, verse 10... It's translated mercy, and it's contrasted with the woes that come upon the wicked. And, of course, we could, there's many other places it would be used. But here, it's translated kindness. And uh, isn't love part of love? The kindness that we show. Now, love is more than just an action. We'll look at that tonight in 1 Corinthians 13. It's more than just an action. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, we're told that if someone were to give their body to be burned, if they were to give all their goods to feed the poor and have not charity, love, it profits them nothing. So love is more than just an action. We can't say it's just an action. Action is involved. But it's also an emotion. It's an emotion that David feels deeply here. And it moves him to action. Verse 2. And there was of the house of Saul... A servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, verse 3, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. You know, and it seems that Ziba is being cooperative with David, which he is. Later on, and we'll come back to this later in the book of 2 Samuel, much later, we'll see that Ziba, he might not be so interested in the welfare of Mephibosheth. He really might not be that loyal to Mephibosheth himself because Ziba, otherwise, he's the one that's in charge of Saul's inheritance. And it could be that Ziba is even hoping here, as becomes somewhat evident later on in 2 Samuel, that perhaps David doesn't really mean to show Mephibosheth a kindness, which David isn't sincere. I don't know if Ziba thought that David had any ulterior motives 
But Ziba here is betraying Mephibosheth by letting David know where he is and where to find him. Because Mephibosheth is really the last remaining heir. We saw that earlier in 2 Samuel to Saul. There are other sons of Saul, but he's the one mentioned. And those other sons of Saul are all going to be put to death later. Um, seven of them, I should say. And that comes later as well. But Mephibosheth will be spared at that time by David because of his covenant with Jonathan. And that comes up later in 2 Samuel as well. But previously, when um, Ishbosheth was mentioned as Saul's son, who was reigning over the northern part of Israel, in, verse, in chapter 4, it had met, that chapter 4 mentioned to us that Mephibosheth was the other heir to the throne through Jonathan. Normally in history, normally even at this time in history, it would have been very normal for King David to go ahead and just have Mephibosheth executed. Just to make it clear to everyone that David is the king and there's no one else that can claim to be king. Mephibosheth's very life is going to be in danger later after Absalom um, rebels against David. Ziba accuses Mephibosheth of trying to get his kingdom of King Saul back. And Mephibosheth says, no, I was not. And uh, David actually can't decide who's right and who's wrong in that situation. Divides the land equally between Ziba and Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth said, no, he can have it all. Very, very much like the woman who, whose baby was going to be divided into half by King Solomon's order, said, no, let her, the, the, one who's, the other one who's claiming the child to be divided in half. Mephibosheth let him have it all. They, but they did divide it later on. But Ziba has to, he, he is letting David know where Mephibosheth is. He has no problem. He has no loyalty preventing him from letting him know. Perhaps Ziba is not seeking any harm to Mephibosheth. Perhaps he just knows that he can trust David. But he is um, going, to, going to be a problem for Mephibosheth in the future. But David, look at verse 5. David does not mean to do any harm to Mephibosheth. He means every word of seeking to do kindness to Mephibosheth. Even if Ziba didn't know that. Verse 4, And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lobadar. Some of these names, these difficult names, they'll come up again later. David gets help from some of these people. When Absalom has rebelled against David, and perhaps it's part of the reason that he gets the help from them at that time in his life when he needs that help is because David has shown kindness to Mephibosheth, as we see in this passage. So David actually is going to get rewarded for this, perhaps somewhat indirectly. But, he, um, but David didn't need to show this kindness. It's not something he was obligated to do um, as the king. But according to his covenant with Jonathan, he was. And David is going to keep that covenant. He's going to keep his word. Even though he's the king, even though he could have had Mephibosheth executed, in fact, he has the opportunity and excuse to do so by the Lord's order later 
not, not specifically concerning Mephibosheth, but concerning the descendants of Saul because of what Saul had done evil against the Gibeonites and later seven sons of Saul, seven descendants of Saul, I should say, are killed, but Mephibosheth is spared because of Jonathan, his father. This is Jonathan's only son. And look at verse 6. And this is the third way in which David demonstrates how to respond to God's blessings by loving others. First, dedicating what God has blessed us with back to God. Second, looking for ways to help others like David does for Mephibosheth. And third, following through. You know, David, his good intentions would have counted for nothing had he not followed through and actually done the kindness that he intended, that he said to Ziba he was going to do, he follows through. Verse 6, And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely... Notice that he has to tell Mephibosheth to fear not just like angels when they appear to men and the men are very afraid, have to say, fear not. David has to tell. David has to tell Mephibosheth to fear not because Mephibosheth apparently has reason to be afraid of David. David is the new king. Mephibosheth is an heir to the throne of King Saul through Jonathan. And so in some, in mo, in most, by most standards, he's a threat to David, even though he's lame on his feet, as we'll see here. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. So notice that the way that Mephibosheth responds to David is in respect, it's in reverence, it's in fear. He bows down to David, he submits himself to David. He doesn't resist, he doesn't try to assert his rights to his land or to his father's um, right to the throne or any of that. He does not resist David. He acknowledges David as the king. He submits to David as the king and he fears him. He reverences him and he humbles himself in front of David and he's going to continue to do so. Even when David shows him kindness, we see that Mephibosheth accepts that kindness, but with much humility. Verse seven, and David said unto him, fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. For Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. That, this is a, a very generous offer that David is making here, a very generous promise. Saul's holdings as the previous king, his land holdings would have been great. And David had every right to seize those as he is the new king. But instead of doing so, he gives Saul's lands to Mephibosheth. Now, as I mentioned later on, Ziba will be given half of those. But uh, for now, Ziba will be given to Mephibosheth as Mephibosheth's servant. And not only that, but Mephibosheth will be in the palace living with David, eating at David's own table as if he is a member of David's own family. So this is a great honor that David is giving to Mephibosheth, not because David knows Mephibosheth, he doesn't know him at all. Didn't even know he existed until he inquired about him. But because of Jonathan, David's friend, 
who has now you know, been killed in battle. And because of the covenant that he made with Jonathan and even promising Jonathan that between him and, and his descendants there would be a covenant. And David is now honoring that covenant of peace and kindness. And he's showing kindness to Mephibosheth. And so Jonathan's friendship with David pays off here for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And notice verse 8. Notice Mephibosheth's humble acceptance here. He does not say, well, thank you very much, and uh, that, yes, I, I thank you for acknowledging me. And you know, he, he, he instead responds very humbly. Verse 8, very modestly, and he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant, that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son. So Ziba was the servant of Saul. I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. And therefore, thou therefore, and thy sons, and thy servants, shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. So Mephibosheth has quite the... has now inherited through David's order, through David's command, quite the entourage, quite the... Um, Employ, employment here of Ziba, his 15 sons, and his many servants. And he also gets to eat at David's table. Verse 11, Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So David treats Jonathan's son as if he is his own son. By the way, at this time in, in his life, you know, when, when Mephibosheth, uh, he became lame on his feet. That's mentioned in, in a, in, back in uh, chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. It, it happened after the nurse that was taking care of Mephibosheth heard that Jonathan was killed in battle. And she tried to carry the lad, Mephibosheth, and dropped him and broke his legs in such a way that they healed. You know, I'm sure in modern me me uh, medicine they would, be, would have been able to form a, perform a surgery and, and correct that, but he wasn't able to. He had to hobble around on crutches the rest of his life because he was lame on his feet from being dropped when he was probably about five years old. And by this time in his life, he's probably about 15, perhaps a little older. But he's a young man. And David has now treated him as one of David's own sons and will continue to do so. Verse, verse 12, And Mephibosheth had a young son. Well, excuse me, he's probably a little older than 15. I think 21 at, at this point. Mixing up an earlier time. But uh, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name, and would have been very young at this time, Micah. And that name, Micah, he's going to be mentioned in the, chrono, um, in the Chronicles uh, 1 Chronicles 8.34, he has a number of descendants. You know, Jonathan, um, Jonathan had died, but his descendants live on. His legacy was to live on because of David. 
And if it had been for David, that may have not happened. But verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. But you know, verse 13 tells us that, but you don't see Ziba mention it. You don't see David mention it. You don't see Mephibosheth mention it. They all pass over that detail. And the narrator lets us know at the end. They did, none of them focused on the fact that Mephibosheth was handicapped. They just focused on the fact that Mephibosheth was a person and that he was the son of Jonathan. And much like that for us today, we need God because we're sinners. We need his forgiveness Without God intervening by sending His Son to die for us, we would have been condemned to hell forever because of our sin, because of our breaking God's law. But God made a way. And because of God's Son, just like in a similar way that David showed kindness to Mephibosheth because of Jonathan, God the Father shows kindness to us because of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. And His blood, for those of us who have placed our trust in faith in Christ, acknowledged Christ, Jesus, as God's Son, who had the sins of all of us laid upon Him on the cross by God. On our behalf, He took our punishment on the cross. And there was no, nothing that we did to deserve that. There's nothing Mephibosheth did to deserve the kindness that he receives. But because of Jonathan, David gives him that kindness and that covenant that he had with Jonathan. And as that covenant that God established with us through Jesus Christ, because of Jesus, God looks on us not as sinners now, but as sons. Just as David doesn't look at Mephibosheth as an enemy or as a cripple, as an inconvenience, but as a son because of Jonathan. We now have seen David demonstrate in this passage in 2 Samuel 8 and 9 three ways of how we should respond to God's blessings. First, we saw through David's victories that he dedicated what God had blessed him with back to God. And then we see that God is given the credit for preserving David. And do we do that to God, for God? Do we dedicate what God gives us in this life? And especially since we are not our own, as believers, God has bought us. He purchased our lives through Jesus Christ, through his blood that was shed for us, he died in our place. We're not our own anymore. We're bought. We're redeemed. And do we dedicate our lives and everything we're given by God back to God and give Him the glory and the credit for all that we have and all that we do? And then secondly, do we seek out ways to show the kindness that we have been shown by God to others as David sought out Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth? Do we look for those opportunities to serve the Lord? 
and to love others. And then thirdly, do we follow through with our intentions to help others? You know, David's good intentions of looking for Mephibosheth, inquiring of where he was, if Jonathan had any sons. You know, if he had stopped there if after his conversation with Ziba and never came back to it, he asked Ziba about Jonathan's son, found out that Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth, and then never followed through and did that great kindness that he wanted to do. It wouldn't have counted with Mephibosheth one bit, wouldn't have done any good. But he followed through, and not only did he seek out Mephibosheth, but he showed him great kindness, giving him Mephibosheth control over all the lands of King Saul, and also giving Mephibosheth a place at David's table in the palace, treating Mephibosheth as David's own son. This is a great example of David, a man after God's own heart, showing love, showing compassion for his friend, and even for a friend that he didn't know, showing compassion for his friend who had died by having compassion on that friend's son who David had never met, Mephibosheth, and preserving posterity for Jonathan through Mephibosheth and his son Micah, who would have many children. Like Mephibosheth, who was a cripple, he needed someone to help him. We are all sinners who needed God to intervene in our lives and to save us. You know, in this uh, Valentine season, could we all be um, honest with each other for a moment? If you know for sure that you are saved, that you have put your faith, at some point in your life you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. And you know for sure that one day we will rise to meet Christ in the air, whether we die first and go to be with God in heaven and then have our bodies resurrected, or whether we are alive and remain and at the rapture we meet Christ. If you know that that will be you for sure, if you have that confidence because you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, who paid with his life and his blood for our sins on the cross. Would you raise your hand this morning if you know that you are a believer? You know and can testify to that. Thank you. It's good to see that. All right. If there's anyone here who does not know, would you have the courage to, to let me, to let us know that you're not sure? Perhaps you can make sure today. Perhaps you can come forward today and make sure or see me after and settle this, or as you go home, to look this through and think this through. As we don't know what the day will bring forth, we don't know when Christ will return or when we'll be called to meet him. And will you settle this today? Is there anyone who is not sure? Would you raise your hand? Is anyone not sure that is not ready to meet the Lord? All right, let's bow for prayer.